Political insiders saw last year's Democratic primary in the 11th Congressional District of Ohio as a proxy battle for the soul of the Democratic Party. Nina Turner, backed by Bernie Sanders, AOC, and the Squad, expressed open hostility toward Israel. Chantel Brown, supported by Hillary Clinton and James Clyburn, openly identified as pro-Israel. In a congressional district with large black and Jewish communities, Chantal Brown emerged victorious, a win for the Democratic establishment and supporters of Israel. Our special guest this week, first-term representative Chantel Brown, to talk about the campaign that was and the congressional work to come. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insiders Limited Liability Podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Limited Liability Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, uh, coming off of an incredible episode uh, with Imam Abdullah, uh, really uh, thoughtful, uh, and today an opportunity uh, to talk to another special guest, uh, somebody uh, that that we'd like to learn more about uh, who came through uh, quite the bruising primary last year, got a lot of attention nationally, a lot of attention from the pro-Israel community because of the dynamics of the race uh, in Chantel Brown, now a freshman member of the House. Yeah, and you know, when we talk about these races uh, that are the battle for the soul of the Democratic or Republican parties, this is one of them. This is a primary that pitted two prominent individuals in the community uh, with a large black community, a large Jewish community, and really took a look at what the Democratic Party is going to stand for on the Israel issue going forward. Well, a lot of questions to ask, a lot of ground to cover. Let's get straight to it. Jared, uh, why don't you uh, introduce us to our special guest? A native Clevelander, U.S. Representative Chantel Brown began her service as a Warrensville Heights City Council member in 2012. She went on to be elected to the Cuyahoga County Council. In 2017, she was elected chairwoman of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party, the largest Democratic county in the state of Ohio. And last year, she was elected to Congress in a special election to fill the seat vacated by Marsha Fudge, now Secretary for Housing and Urban Development. Representative Brown, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Day. Carson, we're gonna we're gonna jump right in. Uh, we're all still reeling from the from the attacks over the weekend, where we watched in mm. horror uh, a terrorist from the United Kingdom taking a synagogue in Texas hostage, demanding the release of an imprisoned terrorist. Thankfully, all the hostages got out. Congressman, what was your reaction to this past weekend's event? Oh, I think it just uh, continues to speak to the issues around um, how important it is to make investments to protect our uh, our right to worship and um, many of the issues that we are battling, but especially as it relates to my Jewish brothers and sisters being um, so susceptible and so vulnerable and all seemingly um, too often, too frequently at the forefront of so many um, attacks. So for me, um, it was uh, frustrating, disheartening. It was one of those things that um, you hate to see happen. Um, but I'm grateful for um, that the the people who were undergone training, who had undergone the training, were able to use those tactics to get beyond. But I'm also, as a member of, of Congress, I'm proud of the um, efforts and initiative to increase the funding to make sure that we protect our um, such institutions. And Congressman, I do want to get back to Colleyville a little bit more in depth, but but also want to take a step back first, uh, talk about you and your background and how you got here before your run for Congress last year. You were a city councilwoman, member of the county council. What first sparked your interest in politics? 
<laughs> so um, I get to tell this story with some degree of frequency. Um, so I apologize for the people who are listening that have heard it before. But I um, I started because I wanted to help my neighbors. As the youngest homeowner on my street, I was surrounded by seniors and retirees. And I wanted to know where we would go in the event of an emergency. And um, that uh, led me to my very first city council meeting where I got the answer. And something said to me to, to keep, keep going, learn about what's happening in your community. And as I did, I started to not only cultivate relationships with the people that were there, but I also noticed there was some room for improvement in my particular ward. And so rather than complain, I'm a person that believes in being the change that you want to see. And so I decided to roll up my sleeves, pound the pavement and introduce myself to my neighbors to let them know I wanted to be their uh, city council person. And um, when doing that, uh, they weren't shy about letting me know what issues were important to them. Um, tree branches needed to be trimmed, sewers needed to be cleaned, potholes needed to be filled. And because I had started to cultivate a relationship, I let the administration know. And next thing you know, tree branches were getting trimmed, potholes were getting uh, filled, and sewers were getting cleaned. And so I was feeling pretty good. Um, I thought, for sure, um, this must be for me. But when the polls closed, I was actually down by six votes and thought I would never run for um, public office again. But little did I know, there were 23 provisional ballots in my race, three of us on the ballot. And 11 days later, I learned that I had won by seven votes. And this so, is like the moment where, where everybody <laughs> out there who says my vote does not matter. Like yes. these are the stories where it reminds you that especially at the local level, your vote typically does matter. As a friend of mine, it likes to say the closer you are to politics, the more it impacts your life. And so, yes, local politics, every vote really does count. And so, um, yes, this is a testimony to that. But also, I like to point out seven was very um, powerful for me because as a child of faith, it represents perfection, completion and God. And so for me, it was like divine intervention. So I said, OK, I have to I have to take this up and do what's do the work so that's been the moral compass and the foundation in this work that i call public service and congressman did you have a mentor or somebody you looked up to sort of when you got involved in the the public service arena was there somebody who said hey we're, we're you know we're going to go at this together and i'm going to help uh put, set you on this path to service well, it's funny you mentioned that today. Um, my actually, my deputy uh, director, my deputy chief of staff, and district director became a fast friend. Um, but my entrance, my entrance into politics is never really um, rooted with any, you know, long history of uh, political relationships, or I didn't have uh, a family that was deeply entrenched in politics. It really was kind of um, happenstance, or like I say, divine intervention. And so, um, Kimberly. Uh, uh, Kimberly Hodge Edwards is my will be my um, she's currently my deputy chief of staff and also the district director locally in um, Ohio's 11th congressional district. But beyond her, um, I had so many great examples to look to, um, not uh, not excluding uh, Secretary Fudge, who was my predecessor, also mentor and friend. Um, Stephanie Tubbs Jones, who also held the seat prior to her, was a force who people still um, rave and rant about the the work and the person personality and the energy that she brought whenever she entered a room, she commanded it. Um, but 
Cleveland and Ohio's 11th congressional district in and of itself is rich with so many um, dynamic women. But the one that probably deserves the most credit is my mom. And she's no politician, but she certainly um, groomed me to uh, treat everybody with a level of respect and kindness. And I think that that has been essential to um, my journey. Well, what's your mom's name? Yeah, let's give a shout out to mom. <laughs> shout, out shout out to shout out to Ricky Brown. That's my mom, my well, my A one day one, my best friend forever. So she uh, she was really she was really the person who I credit um, for really who I am today. I mean, just from the from the small things to the big things, she's always been there and um, my biggest cheerleader. So, and if you permit me, I have to now give a shout out to my mom, Bobby Bernstein, who is a uh, big time listener of the Limited Liability Podcast. I don't know, Rich, if you wanted to chime in there. Uh, I I say hello to my mother. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm yes. Not say, sure if she actually say hello to, to this say hello podcast. to your mother. Rich. I don't know if she knows how to podcast. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd love I'd love to her to figure out podcasting, but I don't think okay. that that may. If my, if my mom can figure out podcasting, my, Rich. I know my mother my mother in law does listen. Okay. So hello, mother. Oh, yeah. and, oh he's trying to which, up, is yeah. just, which is just we just say mom. We just say mom. Uh, my mother in law. So Judy shout Fish. out. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to the moms. I feel like this is going to air again on Mother's Day. <laughs> 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 so, Congresswoman. Just to bring it back for a second, uh, so Jewish Insider reported on your primary very closely, starting a year ago in January. Yes. We saw Israel become Thank a re- you. Uh, yes, we saw Israel. You're quite <laughs> welcome on behalf of Jewish Insider. Uh, we saw Israel become a real flashpoint in the race, with your opponent Nina Turner mm-hmm. coming out against Israel in favor of conditioning aid, criticizing Israel during the rocket attacks from Hamas in May, and you taking a more traditional democratic position in support of our ally. What was the element of the campaign? What was that element of the campaign like for you? Oh, it was uh, it got it got pretty, uh, I would say, rough at times. But for me, um, an easy, clear decision, because I had the the privilege of going to Israel in 2018. So to see Israel in its, uh, you know, firsthand and understanding some of the dynamics and nuances made it a much clearer and easier choice for me. But to, um, I, I'm grateful <laughs> because it was a very distinctive um, line and um, difference between myself and her. And so it was, uh, again, easy for me in that way, but disappointing, um, disappointing for someone who, like me, who has um, developed and cultivated a great relationship in the Jewish community, having represented um, a significant portion of the portion of the population in my prior elected office. So this was actually um, not just a result of my campaign for Congress, but um, a natural, organic, and authentic um, connection that had been developing over time for me. And during the final weeks of the campaign, um, when it was really in the news, House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn came to Cleveland to campaign for you. AOC came campaign for your opponent. Political arm of the Congressional Black Caucus boosted you. Hillary Clinton endorsed you. And then there were groups like Pro-Israel America, Democratic Majority for Israel, Jewish Democratic Council of America uh, backing you and, and getting involved. What can you say about the coalition that you had put together? <laughs> it was really broad, pretty diverse. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. Yes, that's that's the goal. Um, you know, this is about addition, not subtraction, right? And so um, I've always been focused on delivering results and not insults. And so I think that that was uh, 
particularly advantageous in this campaign um, for even prior to getting the national attention and that what I would describe as an amazing coalition that you just uh, that you just read off. Um, I had the support of local elected officials. Um, so we had a path to victory. We, you know, I've been a legislator prior to Congress for nine years. And so three years as a city council person and um, six years as a county council representative. And so that afforded me the um, privilege of working with so many elected officials from uh, precinct folks to city council members to school board members to mayors. And so even in January of last year, we had earned over 100 local elected officials uh, endorsements and support. And so that was what we knew. They were the ones who were closest to the ground and would put us on a path to victory. Those are the people who could actually cast ballots <laughs> in the election. So uh, those were the ones that really, um, I think, gave me the confidence to um, know that there was victory, victory was truly possible. But when you talk about the coalition, when we started getting the national attention, we knew that that was going to be um, a strong possibility because of the candidate, the other candidate in the race, right? Despite the fact there were 11 other folks, it came down to the two of us. There were 13 total, but it came down to, um, to the two of us. And so those distinctions that you talk about and being able to earn the respect of those um, of that fabulous coalition, including um, the Democrats for Israel and um, all the U.S. for Israel relationships that were um, that were uh, that came from that certainly catapulted us and um, put us on a fast track to victory. So I thank you sincerely for the support. Congressman, on election night, and you, and you alluded to this earlier, but you thank Jew, your Jewish brothers and sisters. And I wanted to ask you, what's your relationship like with the Cleveland Jewish community today? Oh, it's good. It's still good. Um, as a matter of fact, shout out to Ezra Sarks, who just reached out and asked, when are we getting together so we can just catch up? Um, you know, I, I have... Um, I have been, again, working in the community um, as a legislator for nine years, six of them as a county council representative representing communities with a significantly large Jewish population. So this was an organic, again, authentic uh, relationship that had been forming for years and not purely based on um, the race. And so the good news for me is that uh, the work that I was able to do prior to running for Congress certainly um, helped give get earn the confidence and trust of my Jewish brothers and sisters who got solidly behind me and helped um what I would to say what I would like to say helped me get over the finish line to a place called victory. Now we heard a, a clip from your uh, victory speech. Um there was obviously a concession speech that night as well. I'm not going to play the it? clip. But I'll, 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 I'll just a non-concession concession. Uh, I'll, concession. Well, well <laughs> well, a, uh, whatever you want. Yeah, the media has considered it a concession speech. Uh, we won't play the clip uh, because I don't want to do that, but I'll, I'll quote from it. Uh, we didn't lose this race. Evil money manipulated and maligned this election. That was the quote. Obviously, a lot of Jews, uh, not just in the Cleveland area, but across the country, saw that, felt that was an anti-Semitic comment directed at your Jewish supporters. How have you responded and handled that assertion uh, by Nina Turner from, the, from that evening? Um, I am a person that likes to focus on the positive. I am one that really has uh, not really engaged in um, that type of rhetoric or even um, acknowledged it in that way because we know that good certainly won over evil and that um, 
in that race. And so I am eternally grateful again. But to me, it's about focusing on um, what we can do, being grateful for the support that I was able to earn and um, delivering on the president's agenda. That's what I campaigned on. And that's what I continue to focus my attention, time, effort, and energy. So um, when I when I hear things like that, I got to, you know, just pray for my enemies. That's all I can say is pray for the enemies and hope that um, the Lord blesses them in a way that they will be too busy to focus on me. But we know that we know that there has been talks of a potential rematch. So we prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Right. You're getting ahead of us here. We, we do you know, we do want to ask that. Do you, do you think you will face uh, another primary uh, next time around? You know what? I'm working. I'm more focused on doing the work. Um, that's what got me here. I think doing the work is what, you know, you look, you check my record, check the results, and hopefully that's enough to uh, keep me where I am. That's my focus. So, Congresswoman, there's been a lot of ink spilled over what this election, what your election meant for the soul of the Democratic Party. Um, Rich talked about it a minute ago. There were heavyweight endorsements on both sides. Um, lots of you know celeb Democrats getting involved, a lot of money involved. So we and we even talked about it on this podcast. This was a battle for the soul of the Democratic Party, particularly when we talk about the pro-Israel community. We're curious, how did people in Ohio think about it? You know what? Um, it, that's a funny question um, because I, I I think that the local the local race was really about results. It didn't get into this um, progressive, moderate uh, issue. I, I'll tell you, um, as an elected official, again, with nine years experience, three with the city, six at the county, when someone gives me a call and they say, Chantel, um, when is the next food bank or where is the next food bank or how can I get my hands on PPP? They never end the call with, and oh, by the way, are you a moderate or a progressive? You know, they are simply happy that they have a public servant who is willing to help them um, address whatever issues or concerns they have. And so that has been, um, I believe, the, the thing that the people locally cared about the most. And I know the national narrative uh, made it, uh, they had a, the, the national narrative was different, but it definitely on the ground was about who has been doing the work and who has been delivering for the people. And I think that um, is why I was able to earn the support of so many local elected officials in this race. You know, I'm reminded of of the famous quote uh, attributed to the legendary mayor of New York City, Fiorella LaGuardia, who once said, there is no Republican or Democratic way to pick up garbage. Okay, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he was known as, you know, he ran as a fusion candidate. Uh, and and anyway, I digress. Rich, go ahead. All politics is local, Jared. I, that's what I love about and, you. And I'm as local as it gets. <laughs> well, uh, Congresswoman, obviously, we, we've talked about a couple times now that members of the squad endorsed your opponent, Nina Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're serving with them in Congress. What's that relationship been like since the election? You know what? Um, it has been... Uh, colleagues, <laughs> collegial, who we work together. Um, I get to see them on the floor, um, as well as, you know, folks on the other side of the aisle, other members within the party. So it's been um, a working relationship. And so um, we have some areas where we can work together and where we don't, uh, where the areas that we aren't, we're unable to work together. I hope to be able to convince them to, um, 
to maybe change their opinions about things. So it's it's a it's an it's a work in progress. <laughs> And obviously, we, we talked at the top about last weekend's events. Um, we, earlier in the week, uh, talked to uh, Imam Abdullah Antepli, uh, who runs uh, uh, a program for the Shalom Hartman Institute on, on Jewish-Muslim relations uh, and, and Muslim thought, um, also a professor at Duke University. And, and he was interested, he was calling out um, members of Congress, in addition to certain organizations, for the rhetoric um, that he feels is inciting anti-Semitism. That this rhetoric towards Israel against supporters of Israel, some of the rhetoric you faced in the campaign, that is really now moving people into this area of, of, of violence, of acts of anti-Semitism. Are you concerned about that kind of rhetoric that you're even seeing, seeing from some of your colleagues, and, and what can be done about that? Um, I think we, I, yes, I, I think we have to hold everyone accountable when they, um, when they're. Uh, with them when that type of rhetoric comes up. And so, you know, whether it's um, on one side of the aisle or the other, accountability, accountability, accountability is so important. Our words matter. And so I, um, I, again, I hope to be able to lead by example. There are, um, there are opportunities there to cultivate relationships. And I should say, I've had um, good interactions, positive interactions with, um, with the majority of my colleagues, including um, including the uh, including those members, and so what I would like to focus on are um, delivering results for the people. And so when we again when we have differences, that's when we have to have time to have honest and healthy discussions and get to the root of those problems. But um, we absolutely have to hold people accountable for their words, and we've done that. Um, when you look at uh, Gosar and Bobert and things like that, you know that has also um, been uh, a high priority for us. So I think accountability is key. So, Congresswoman, to, to that to that end, every everybody always says Washington has never been this dysfunctional, but I think it's pretty <laughs> safe to say it's pretty bad at the moment. And was one of the inspirations behind this podcast, by the way. What do you think is the way forward out of this mess that we find ourselves in? Well, that's the thing. Like we we have to start really being more aggressive, more assertive, and more loud and proud about the things that we're actually doing well and less focused on the things that are dividing us. Because oftentimes, um, I've always been a believer in the mindset that we we can agree on um, the fact that most of us want to provide and protect for our families at the end of the day. That's the fundamental um, point that I like to come from. Now, how and how we do that you know, varies. But at the end of the day, I think everybody wants to protect and provide for their family. So focusing on those issues and how we get those things done um, is uh, critical to our success as a country. Um, I think that when we um, go on the attack, it only drives us further apart. Um, We have to be in a position to be able to work with each other because what I do know is that right now the Democrats, we the Democrats, we have a small majority, but that is not going to last forever. And so um, insulting folks who will eventually be in power, I don't think is a, is a winning formula to get things done. So we really have to be um, acutely focused on, again, the areas where we have common ground 
and really work on um, win-win solutions and recognizing that we can't always get every single thing that we want. I don't know a world or a place in that where that exists. And finally, um, the other thing that I think we have to do a better job of is recognizing that when we disagree, it should not be the end-all, be-all. Um, I'm sure, Jared and Richard, you don't agree on everything, but it hasn't uh, fractured your friendship or your ability to get things done, right? Um, I, uh, I, I'm a proud mama's girl, as we said at the top of this uh, program, but she and I don't always agree. And what I don't do is just say, you know what, mom, I'm never talking to you again. You're the worst person in the world. We, we accept, we agree to disagree, and we focus on the things that we can agree on. Overly simplified, but it's, a, I believe, a philosophy and a principle that um, helped Congress in the past and something that we desperately need to get back to. So um, agreeing to disagree and finding those things that we can agree on and focusing on those, I think that is going to be key to getting us back to a place of um, civility. So that is, uh, I'll, be leading, I'll be leading the charge. In that vein, are, are there individual members who you've met so far in Congress that you've been impressed with that you say, you know, we we may not agree on everything, but we're working together on this issue or that issue, you know, particularly across the aisle? Sure, sure. I am proud to say I have a, a piece of legislation um, specifically focused on um, our veterans right now and making sure that they are able to get resources to deal with preventive health matters. And that is um, being co-sponsored with uh, my Ohio delegation from across the aisle, Dave Joyce and um uh, Anthony Gonzalez, Representatives Gonzalez and Joyce are supporting me on that. And so there are places, again, where we can find agreement. Um, when I got sworn in, uh, Mike Carey, I think from uh, the 15th district in Ohio, has uh, stopped by my office. And um, we've been in multiple conversations about how we can work on things together, had a um, great meeting with Senator Portman. Um, and although he's leaving, was very very positive, very encouraging. So while there's um, some degree of dysfunction there, I've been um, well received by both my Democrats and some folks on the other side of the aisle. And so I plan to capitalize on that because the key to Congress is getting to 218 votes. And so I'm going to be hyper-focused on those uh, other 217 people who agree with me. And Congressman, uh, Congresswoman, on behalf of my co-host, Rich, who is a veteran, he thanks you for your legislation that you're going to pass on his behalf. Um, well, I, I haven't but, read it. You know, so I I just, say, know. just say thank you. Just say thank you, Rich. You, you just it's not raising your taxes. Say thank you. Okay? Uh, well, I haven't read it yet, so I don't know if that's, actually, that, that's true. That's why I don't know. It's true. Uh, it's true. Okay. Uh, okay. So, All right. So, well, sounds good. Sounds Congresswoman. Good. Um, you you talked earlier in the show about visiting Israel before you ran to you know before you ran for Congress. Tell us a little bit about that visit and what really struck you about it. Oh goodness! So um, as a person who is deeply steep, steeped in my faith, I was excited to see the religious sites. Um, but what I left with was uh, so much more. So um, being able to go stand at the Golan Heights and um, just see the vulnerability of the state, right? Just recognizing how vulnerable Israel is was um, eye-opening. But probably one of the most, uh, one of the moments that I'll, I'll never forget was standing near the Gaza Strip at a kibbutz where um, there was a lady who was holding um, a firecracker that had been dropped by a drone. And so, and, and being within a few feet of a bomb shelter, like, 
the reality of that vulnerability um, and that feeling of just, um, you know, there was somewhat of fear and anxiety and, and that that uh, is a feeling that never left. And so um, it gives me the appreciation for the Iron Dawn. It gives me appreciation for the investments that we're making to ensure um, that we continue a strong relationship between the U.S. and Israel. So it was it was a life changing experience. And um I look forward to going back. And I I'll, I'll always like to say, too, the Dead Sea was quite magical. Um, I'm one who could drown in a teaspoon of water, but being able to float <laughs> in the Dead Sea was magical for me. So, Well, I hope you, you got the warning. I did not get the warning when I was a kid that, like, if you have any open cuts or anything like that, like, don't, don't go in. And yes. It was, it was a pain. I was, they they yeah, told I us to shave beforehand. They, our tour, our tour oh, guide, no we must have been kind of insolent. Our on. tour guide was like, yeah, no. you should be really clean shit. No. It's not no, true. No, no. Sorry. They uh, wanted to torture I, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one one last policy question before we shift into our lightning round, lighthearted questions. Obviously, there's a lot of talk right now about whether the Biden administration will go ahead and lift sanctions on Iran uh, without potentially getting that longer and stronger nuclear deal that President Biden had originally hoped for. We saw a pretty bold attack against the UAE this week uh, from the Houthis, reportedly coordinated by Iran. Uh, are you concerned that lifting sanctions on Iran could give them more money for these kind of terrorist attacks? And and how will you be judging uh, whatever sort of agreement out of Vienna may come forth? Well, this has always been um, one of those things where I, it ultimately rests in the hands of President Biden. And um, I know that the Biden administration wanted to return to the original deal, um, but now has indicated it would accept um, a return to the 2015 um, deal. So I um, I think that I, I will just continue to um, watch the Biden administration closely. I, I know that the, the ultimate goal is for um, a longer and stronger agreement, um, and while keeping uh, keeping um, the human rights issue also at the at the forefront, so it's a it's a tough and, and sticky issue, but um, it's one of those things that is ultimately in the hands of the president, and we have to watch closely to make sure that he's doing everything within his authority to um, continue to make sure that that. Iran doesn't get uh, nuclear weapons. I would just notice a parenthetical. That's the longest Rich has ever been on a one of our podcasts without asking an Iran question. He made it all the way through the interview <laughs> to the last question. Well, the, one, the one thing I can recommend is, uh, is monitor closely, but uh, under the Iran Nuclear uh, Agre- Agreement Review Act that they passed back in 2015, you congresswomen have the right to see that agreement before any sanctions are lifted and, and have a vote, and Speaker Pelosi should insist on that. R- well. Rich, That's did you write all. that act? Were you, were you on the... Did you help draft yeah, I was, it? I was gone okay, already. Okay. I was gone already. I, I, you know what? I have a lot of criticisms of that act personally. Okay. But it's there. It's the law. You should demand it's implemented. Okay. That's all. I'll so, Congressman, right. we're going to shift right. to the lightning round now. This is the fun part. Okay. okay? We're going to ask you a, like, a handful of questions that are fun and get us a little bit more of a sense. Now, you, you, you won your primary with a, a significant support from the Jewish community in your district, as well as many national groups. Wondering if you picked up any Yiddish or Hebrew on the campaign trail. Uh, if you have it, that's okay. And profanity is okay as long as it's in another language. <laughs> no, it's, I, I, 
I like chutzpah. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, you're pretty close. It's you got to you got to get some pretty good. Better, better than, than most. You got to get a little bit some. of phlegm, the chutzpah. Yeah. But chutzpah, chutzpah, chutzpah. Yeah, chutzpah. But 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 that is a, that is a great one, and and it certainly in politics, it's. Uh, We'll send you a recording of you just now. That could be your ringtone. <laughs> me or, or the congresswoman? Yeah, not you. The congresswoman. Okay, okay. On, right. yeah, she, she was, was good. good on right. that last right. one. I like this. Yeah, was good. You yeah, go, Rich. Good, yeah. uh-huh. Okay. Uh, what is the best food in all of Cleveland? If it's kosher food, that's even better. But it, but your favorite place to go for for are uh, there any kosher restaurants in Cleveland, Cleveland? Rich? Of course. What do you? Are you yeah, I think the world ends Quarky. at the Hudson River, Rich. So it's hard for me sometimes. Oh my god. So, sorry, sorry. Digress. I'm a Midwesterner. I don't think we didn't explain that. I'm a Midwesterner, and Jared has never left uh, Long Island. No, uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and I lived in D.C. for four years. All right, enough. All right, all right. Congratulations. It's Brooklyn in the exactly, exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right. So, favorite food in all of Cleveland? Bonus if it's kosher. Um. So yes, Corky and Lenny's has great food. I, however, am a big fan of lamb chops. Like I love, love lamb chops, and I love crab legs. I know so bad, but yeah, those are my favorite foods, and so I'll go anywhere to get those. So, so, so Congresswoman, you should know we should all be in a in a time and place where they can have an in person White House Hanukkah party again. But one of the things mm-hmm. when they used to have the in person Hanukkah party, regardless of who was president, because I'm pretty sure it was the same caterer, is that the kosher lamb chops that they serve at the white house are ridiculous mm. next level mm. next level okay mm. um all right one more if there is there uh, oh actually do you have any samples of famous foods of the region like some members of congress do in your office i do not i i've got to get my sample game up no okay. i do not do, but well just you, tell corky and lenny's yeah. you want like you know matzo balls on display we want like you know just like whatever, or, whatever yeah maybe you can have like corky and lenny's day I mean, if you're listening corky and lenny's the congresswoman would love to serve it in her office okay um but, but before you move yes. on i have to ask you a question can you recommend some of my colleagues who have such a thing so i know where to go uh what's it you know who used to do this for a long time well go to go to brad schneider's brad schneider. office i'm pretty sure he would have jelly and on bellies. the senate side bill nelson did this forever when he was in the senate he used to have just like jugs and jugs and jugs of fresh squeezed orange juice flown up to his office mm. every week oh uh the J- georgia delegation usually has coke products yeah yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Duly noted. Yeah. We'll, we'll get on that. We'll work our, our Capitol Hill, <laughs> our Capitol Hill sources to find out. All right. Um, last lightning round question. And Congresswoman, you're doing great so far. So is there one city or country in the world that you hope to visit but haven't been able to yet? Mm. Uh, one city or country in the world. You know what? Um, any place tropical. I know that's not a, a you know specific thing, but wherever it's warm and sunny, that's where I want to be. You know, I'm a as a Midwesterner, <laughs> and as I, you guys who have probably just experienced this last winter blast, I just want to be where there's sun and sand and tropical trees. So put me on a plane, and well, I'm there. I'll tell you what. Oh. Well, I, I I have an idea for a yeah. Codel then that's totally legit. And within our national security, you know, prerogatives and all that, Guam. Yeah, You'd love Guam. Take, takes Go a to okay. to get there. Congressman, I will tell you, you should call a former guest on this show, Delegate Stacey Plaskett from the United States Virgin Islands, and tell, oh, us, yes! tell, us the, tell the delegate mm. that Jared Bernstein said that you want to come visit her on St. Croix, and you want to see where Alexander Hamilton worked as a young man, and it is one of the most special 
crown jewels of this country that, that few, not enough people take advantage of. So shout out to our good friend, Delegate Stacey Plaskett. Representative, I love her. She's, she's the best. She's the best. Representative Chantel Brown, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We had a great time and we hope to he- see you back here soon. Thank you, guys. Wow, Rich, really great to know Congresswoman Chantel Brown. Great to engage with a, uh, a brand new member of Congress, hear her story, hear her, uh, her work in the pro-Israel community. And I, I think you might have a story to share with us as part of the wrap-up. I do, actually. And I thought about it as she was talking. She talked about the need to work across the aisle. And, you know, here's somebody coming from a solid Democratic district who's saying very forthrightly, listen, we're not going to be in the majority forever. And if you don't have friends on this side of the aisle, what are you going to do when you're in the minority at some point? And it it occurred to me, so few people talk like that anymore. It's like verboten to to say things like that within your base. And I remember so vividly uh, in the mid-2000s, before the 2006 wave, uh, when the Democrats uh, took back the House uh, the first time around in the last 20 years, uh, and Mark Kirk, you know, at the time, I think second, third term Republican, I was working on Capitol Hill, young guy, and he had this rule. I mean, this just like could not cross this rule. He would not do anything, no bill, no letter, unless it had a Democratic co-sponsor attached to it to put out no dear colleague, et cetera. Almost never did anything on his own or just Republican. And that was true in the pro-Israel space. It was true in everything he did. And the reason was, he said, I have been here long enough as a staffer to know the pendulum will always shift on us. You think it's great right now, George Bush is president, we have the House, etc. We're going to lose the House at some point, and if we don't have friends and colleagues on the other side of the aisle that we have helped and we have worked with, no matter what's going on in their elections, tough districts, etc., we're going to be you know, nowhere when we're in the minority. And sure enough... He came back. He was one of the most targeted members for re-election in 2008. DCCC went all in trying to take him out. And it was the first two years after they had taken the majority, the Democrats taken the majority. And all of those Democrats who he had gone to and said, will you work with me? You know, will you be on this? Can I get you, you know, great press coverage for this idea? Will you join me in this? And they had agreed to. They remembered him. And when the D-trip came to them and said, no, you can't work with Mark Kirk, he's targeted, they said, well, guess what? He's my friend. He's always worked with me no matter what. I'm going to work with him. And that's, you know, how it used to be and how it should be. And I think to some extent that still happens with a lot of members, but just less than it used to. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a a real shame. I mean, I remember as a a young Democratic-leading uh, college student interning for Peter King, a uh, Republican from Long Island with a very mixed district, and and hearing the same kinds of sentiments from him, even though, you know, Congresswoman King, very outspoken on a lot of issues, um, you know, lived in a very purple district and and was responsive to the needs, uh, that, you know, and, and worked across the aisle. If you like the show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next time, this is Limited Liability Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.